Uh, turning your Bible to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, I mentioned uh, last week that we were taking a, a two-week hiatus, a two-week break from um, our series in Exodus, uh, which felt like a ten-week break from our series in Exodus to do a series in the Ten Commandments. But we're still taking this two-week break um, from, uh, from Exodus. And this morning, uh, I want us to look at uh, the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, uh, verses 16 to 20. Let me ask that you would stand as we read God's Word together. If you're able, let's, let's stand together. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. We pray, Almighty Lord, that you would grant us the grace to read and mark your holy word. Uh, its truths re- to receive with meekness, and by its holy precepts live. Through Christ we ask it. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, yes, I did just steal the last verse of that hymn for our uh, our prayer. Um, you know how every CIA spy movie... You know how it always starts. You know how it always begins. Some spy gets a, I don't know, a suitcase or a pen or a Walkman or something. And um, and in it is a message from the home office in Langley, Virginia. Uh, and it always begins with, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is. And then it goes on from there. Um and, and the reality is that that becomes that spy's mission until either he accomplishes it, completes it, or until he gets a new mission or new information, new instructions from Langley. Well, we have our mission given to the church here in Matthew chapter 28. It's a a mission that remains in place until we either complete the mission or until the one who gave it comes back and gives us new instructions. It seems reasonable, I think, at the beginning of a, a new year just to remind ourselves what is the mission of the church in the world? Why are we here? Not just why is Grace Covenant here, although that's part of it, but why is the church here at all? Why is there such a thing as a church? What is the mission of the church? You know, any other organization in the world gets to decide for itself what it wants to do and be. If you want to be a widget maker, you can decide, I'm going to be a widget maker. And there's your mission for uh, your company, your business. You know, one time I was in Chick-fil-A. In Athens, in Athens, Chick-fil-A, I can take you to the booth 
where I was sitting when I heard the question. You can't get a burger here, can you? Now, you laugh because you know that Chick-fil-A's mission is to make the best chicken sandwich in the world. And they're so focused on that mission that you can't get a burger in a Chick-fil-A. You can't get clothes. You can't get shoes. You can't get spark plugs. You can only get chicken stuff. And they're so committed, so dedicated to accomplishing, to fulfilling that mission that that is what they do. Well, the church has a mission. And it's a mission that's given to us, not that we get to come up with. We don't get to sit around in some smoke-filled room, you know, smoking pipes, pontificating about what do we want to do, what do we want to be. The mission is given to us by Christ, the risen Christ. He's, he's, he's out of the grave. He's gone to the cross. He's gone to the tomb. He's come out of the tomb. He's now spent his days post-tomb, and he's getting ready to ascend back to the Father. And it's the last message he gives to the disciples, to his church, before he leaves them. And so because it's given by Christ, it means we don't get to change it. We don't get to flip a coin. We don't get to say, well, hold on. I don't really want to do that anymore. I don't want to make chicken. I want to do burgers instead. I don't want to, you know, I want to change. It's given to us by Christ. And so it remains in place until either we complete it or he comes and changes it. First, I want you to see the church's mission. I hate to do this. School hadn't started yet, but you need a grammar lesson. Uh, school starts, I assume, this week. Uh, so you might as well take a running start into it. You need a quick grammar. There's always a grammar lesson whenever you come to the Great Commission. Because in the Great Commission, in verses 19 and 20, there is one main verb and there are three participles. The problem is you can't actually see that in English. See, you and I tend to come to this passage and think, well, the command in the Great Commission is to go. Now, that's, that's, that's the way it's written, and so it sounds like that's what it means. That's what we hear at missions conferences, right? That's what, that's what sort of the pattern of our lives is. Well, if you really want to be a super spiritual Christian, you'll go to Africa or the jungles of South America because that's where you know, we have this hierarchy of, of Christians, right? Missionaries in Africa and the jungles of South America, they're the top. And if you're just, a, I don't know, a doctor or a lawyer or a space explorer, you know, that's cute, right? That's kind of how this works. And we, we, we take this verse 19 and think, well, the command seems to be to go. That sounds like the imperative. That sounds like the command, but it's not. It's actually a participle. We'll talk about that in just a second. The command, the imperative in verses 19 and 20 is to make disciples. And so the go is really going. Our command, our mission, the church's mission in the world is to make disciples. Now notice, this already raises questions, right? It says make disciples, not decisions. 
Right? We're not after decisions, we're after disciples. And so you have to ask yourself a whole sort of a host of questions at this point. If that's our mission, then, then we kind of have to realize, well, then that implies that there are some things that aren't our mission. Do we want Christians involved in politics? Do we want Christians in the Oval Office? Do we want Christians leading research um, for Eli Lilly and Pfizer and Johnson and Johnson? Do we want believers in? Absolutely we do. But those are not the church's job. Those are the work. That's the work for individual believers. That's not what Grace Covenant should pour our heart and life into. Even things like homeless shelters and, and crisis pregnancy centers and schools, those are all good, great things that we want believers absolutely creating and forming and operating and running and working in. But that's not where we as a church, that's not where Grace Covenant, that's not where the church, even as a big C, is, to, is supposed to focus its energy. In fact, you can see that illustrated uh, in Acts chapter 2, remember Acts 2, um, the church, at least the New Testament church, as you and I tend to think of it, explodes onto the scene in Acts chapter 2 um, on the day of Pentecost. And 3,000 people are converted. 3,000 souls are added to their number that day. And, and do you remember how the church is described after that? It doesn't say, and so what they decided was, well, now we've got sufficient numbers to take over um, to defeat the Jewish leaders. They didn't say, well, now we have sufficient numbers to take over the government. No, they, they committed, they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They focused on the work of the church. It comes up again in Acts 6 when um, there are widows among the congregation who are being left out in this daily distribution of, of food, it seems. Money or food. Um, table serving. And, and the office of deacon was created precisely so that the apostles the, and then later the elders could focus their attention on word and prayer. The mission of the church is disciple making. Uh, not great and wonderful things like hospitals or homeless shelters or crisis pregnancy centers or taking over the government. But there's a, another question we have to ask. If make disciples is the, the mission of the church, we probably have to ask, well, what is a disciple? What is that? If I've got to make one, how would I know one if I'm going to make one? And this is the difference between decisions and disciples. Disciples are followers and they're learners. We're out to make people who follow Jesus and who learn from Jesus. A disciple is a follower and a learner. Our goal, our intention, the, the mission of the church in the world is to, to be gathering more and more people who follow Christ, who live according to his commands, 
who love and serve him above all else. There are people who trust in Jesus and him alone for their salvation and then who desire to love God with all their heart, soul, and mind. It might be tempting, I think, to to create sort of our own caste system within the church. To set sort of this hierarchy of like, well, I'm just a Christian, but those people are disciples. Or those people are, are far above you. Know, I've, I've, I've made a decision for Jesus. I've got my get out of hell free card um, so that when I die, I can just sort of flash that card and I'll, I'll get to go. But even though my life doesn't change at all. But that's not the aim of the Great Commission. We're all... All Christians are disciples. In fact, the word Christian doesn't, that's not even a name that existed when Jesus is speaking in Matthew 28. That's not a name that comes up until the middle of Acts. And it was actually a derogatory term at first. Little Christ ones. It was given to them by outsiders. And they started sort of wagging their finger at them and saying, oh, the little Christ ones. And Christians took it to themselves and owned it. Because they were being identified with Jesus. And it was in their desire to grow and to be more and more like Him. At this time, anyone who followed Jesus was called a disciple. So the mission of the church is to to gather, to make followers of and learners from Jesus. Where are we going to find these people? There there are four alls in this passage. And all four alls matter. All the alls matter in this passage. One of them is in verse 19. Make disciples of all nations. The gospel is for everybody. Not just Jewish people, but for Gentiles also. Jesus is taking a a group of, of, in a a world that thinks that Judaism is the key, the center of the world. And we are going to be the saviors and the savior is going to be Jewish and he's going to make Judaism great again. And Jesus says, this gospel is for everybody. Jews and Gentiles alike. Jews and non-Jews alike. In fact, he's, he's sort of pointing us to revelation when people from every tongue and tribe and nation will uh, have come to Christ and are pouring into the new creation together. Our mission is to make disciples. Within the passage also, Jesus gives us our mission, but he also gives us our method. And that's where the participles come in. Participles. It's when it's the baptizing, teaching, going. Um, the you, Sort of the, the I-N-G on the end of a verb. That's usually a participle. And so the first is in verse 19. Go, therefore. It's, it's not go. The command isn't go. The command is going. Or as you're going. Or as you go. In other words, you don't have to actually leave your home and your homeland 
and go live in some foreign country to be going and making disciples. We do that in normal everyday life. As you go, as you live your life, as you do the things that you do, as you go to work, as you go to school, as you go to the store, as you interact with your neighbors, as you play with your friends, as you um, invite people over to your house for dinner, as you um, do your job, whatever the case may be, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, we're about the work of making Disciples. It's an everyday life kind of a concept. So going. Second participle is baptizing in verse 19. Now I'm not going to get bogged down in baptism and dunking and sprinkling and who. We're not going to get in that conversation. That's a different conversation because I don't think that's really even the aim of this passage. The picture here is this is a world into which... Jewish people have received the sign of circumcision. That is the old covenant sign of entrance into the covenant community. Baptism is the new covenant sign of entrance into the covenant community. It's a picture of cleansing, of washing. That's why you use water. We don't need blood anymore because Jesus' blood is sufficient. Um, it's a, a sign, a picture of the Holy Spirit coming down on his people. And so baptism is the New Testament sacrament, the New Testament sign of entrance into the covenant community. It replaces circumcision. In fact, there are going to be whole debates. The, whole, the book of Galatians is a whole debate about whether or not Gentile people have to be circumcised, whether they can come to Jesus directly or whether they have to come through Judaism. And the answer is circumcision doesn't matter anymore. In other words, because Jesus is sending his disciples into a world that has not received that sign yet, they're to apply that sign to converts. They're supposed to baptize the people who do come to saving faith in Christ. It's a, you and I might sort of summarize it with evangelism. They're reaching new people with the gospel who have never received this sign. And so when they hear the gospel, when they embrace Christ, they are to receive the sign of baptism as entrance into their covenant community, into the church. It's a picture of reaching unbelievers with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a third participle in verse 20. And notice it's teaching. However, that's not where we can stop. The CIA spy gets his mission from Langley. Your mission, should you choose to accept it? And he goes on to complete his mission. How does he know when he's completed his mission? Well, when the other guy's spy is dead. Right? Your spy is to inter your mission is to I don't know intercept this transport truck that's heading towards wherever. You blow up the transport truck, your work's kind of done. 
Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to make sure that that enemy spy doesn't get that information. You put a bullet in that enemy spy's head, your job's pretty much done. You're ready for your new assignment. How do we know when our work is complete? How do we know when we've accomplished our mission? The method isn't simply teaching. Read the rest of the phrase. Teaching them, the disciples, to observe all that I have commanded you. The work of the church is done when every Christian everywhere in every part of the world is fully and completely obedient to Jesus. All of a sudden that got a little more serious. Our aim is to see believers who want to submit their will, their lives to the rule and authority of Christ. If Jesus has all authority on earth, how does he exercise that authority? Well, in the church, he exercises that authority by his word and by his spirit. And so when his word and spirit are at work in our hearts and lives, conforming us more and more into the image of Christ, then we're gaining ground against the darkness as it were. In other words, if we're called to teach them to observe all that Christ has commanded, then our primary instrument is his word. That's why we're word-centered. That's why we focus on teaching and preaching and explaining and applying God's word in various settings. Because that's the instrument the Spirit will use to root out sin in our lives and grow us in our faith. In other words, we're not just teaching. We're not here just to communicate information. It's not about filling our minds. It's about transformation. It's about conforming our lives into the image of Christ. And because the Spirit works through His Word to do that, that's why the Word is front and center in the life of the church. The church's mission, the church's method, and finally I want you to see the church's motivation. Uh, when you think about uh, the things that make us hesitate... What would cause you to hesitate in telling other people about Jesus? Well, there really are two. They, they can, whatever they are, they can sort of be boiled down to two things that might cause you or me to hesitate actually talking about Jesus with total and complete strangers. Number one is their objection to Jesus. Number two is my fear. One is outside of me. One is in them. The other is inside of me. One is, is in me. In other words, we reason our way out of accomplishing this mission because we think that either the people around us don't want to hear it, and that seems to be the world we live in, right? I mean, how many times do you watch the news or how many times do you read about the, the worldviews of the life we, the, the world we live in and think, this place is getting darker and darker. It's getting more and more difficult to talk about Jesus. More and more people who want nothing to do with Christianity and the gospel in any way, shape, or form. And so we think they have zero interest in the gospel. They have zero interest in Jesus. We decide beforehand that they won't listen, that their hearts are just too hard. 
You know what we need in that scenario? You know what we need when that's our fear? When, when, when we're convinced that they want nothing to do with Jesus? You know what you need to know more than anything in the world? You need verse 18. You need to know that Jesus has, here's another all, all authority in heaven and on earth. That's Jewish language for everywhere. Right? There's no other place left. He doesn't have some authority. He doesn't have a little bit of authority. He doesn't have most of the authority. He's not pretty much mostly in control for the most part, usually. He has all authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Now, I have a feeling that we read that before the Great Commission and think, what Jesus means is, because I have all authority, I have the right to tell you to get out there and make disciples. I don't think that's what he means. It's not because I have authority over you to tell you what to do. It's because I have authority over them that you have hope of success. It's precisely because I rule and reign over what you think of as the darkness around you. That you can have confidence that your mission for making disciples will actually be successful. The people of this world. In fact, we read it in Revelation. It was our, our, our call to worship. We read um, this is the Messiah. It had to be in your head if you know it at all when we, uh, for our call to worship. The kingdom of this world, it has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. And He shall reign forever and ever. The kingdom of this world, it's, it's empty, vain deceit, empty philosophies. It's Subjects of Satan, it's the kingdom of darkness, as it were. They're kept in darkness by their own blindness and disobedience. That's part of the picture of Romans 1, that apart from Christ, we suppress the truth and unrighteousness. In fact, there was a, another interaction on another mountain between Jesus and Satan. And Satan said, Jesus, look at all the kingdoms of the earth. I'll give them to you if you'll just bow down and worship me. Do you remember Jesus' response? It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Because Jesus did just that, because He served and worshipped the Lord His God and, and served Him only, He now holds all authority in heaven and on earth. That's supposed to give us comfort and encouragement and hope and confidence to take the gospel with us wherever we go to seek to carry out the mission of the church. He now has all authority in heaven and on earth because he was obedient to the Father. He can break the chains that holds mankind in bondage to sin and Satan. He breaks the power of reigning sin. We could have sung that, right? He sets the prisoner free. He gives sight to the blind. He makes the lame to walk. He gives life to the dead, both physically and spiritually. See, that's, that's what you and I need to know. When Jesus says to us, look, here's the mission of the church. The mission of the church is to make disciples, to expand my kingdom. One thing you and I need in order to accomplish that mission is to know that he's in control. That he has 
all authority in heaven and on earth. He can change their hearts and minds. He can take the the stone cold heart of the obstinate objector to Jesus and in a moment make it soft, rich, dark soil that receives the word and grows and bears fruit. You you remember Jesus promised that he would build his kingdom and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. You, you, You know gates are not offensive weapons, right? Nobody says, I'm going to battle. Quick, let me grab the gate. Right, you get a sword, you get a gun, you get a cannon, you get a, a shield as your only sort of defensive weapon. You've got knives and sword. You've got a long sword and a, a bow and arrow. Nobody grabs the gate off its hinges and says, let's go to war, I'm ready. If the gates are involved, it's because the loser has run back into his castle and shut the gates to try to keep the invaders out. The church is on the offense, not the defense. The church is on the attack. The church is growing, not the other way around. We need to know that if we're going to carry out this mission in this world. Aslan is on the move. Jesus is expanding his kingdom. We are on offense, not on defense. That's really sort of the the first part of our motivation, right? The motivation to, to face sort of outward obstacles. If we are convinced that people out there don't want to hear this message, we need to know that Jesus has all authority. What about my own sort of inward guilt or shame or fear or hesitation or uncertainty? What about that? What do I need to know? Well, I need to know verse 20. When Jesus says, I am with you, as the last all, It's not, it's literally all the days. In Greek, it's literally all the days. I am with you all the days to the end of the age. Jesus promises his presence. I am with you all the days that you have, all the days of the church, even until the end of the age. I will be with you as you seek to carry out This mission. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Once I have you in my hand, no one can snatch you out of my hand. All images that Jesus has used in his ministry. And the promise given to the disciples that day is the promise given to the church today. Because the end of the age hasn't come yet. We're still in the same age that he's talking about right here in verse 20. And so until we complete our mission or until he comes and gives us a new mission, our mission in this world is to make disciples. What hope do we have? What confidence do we have? This passage says it isn't us. It's not our smarts. It's not our stunning good looks. It's not our numbers. It's not our overwhelming. It's Jesus. That's our hope. That's our confidence as we seek to reach the lost and gather the saints into his church fellowship. That's the fuel for our ministry. May Christ grow his kingdom in and through us for his honor and glory.
Will you pray with me? Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this promise uh, that you rule over all of creation, uh, that you are at work in this world, that you have all authority in heaven and on earth, uh, that you have the power to to break bondage to sin and and disobedience and rebellion. And so when we take the gospel message, our confidence isn't in us, but in you and your power. That you have uh, promised us your presence. That when we go, um, even if we were to lose friends because we talk about Jesus, no one can take you away from us. No one can take us away from you. And so would you give grace covenant? Would you give your church, your, this portion of your bride, even in this community, the hope, the confidence, the assurance of your presence and your power? as we seek to proclaim your name and make disciples wherever we go. We pray this for your honor and your glory and in your name. Amen.